continuing our study here in Galatians. We're in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, as Lee read. And, and uh, last week, um, we looked at the fact that there was unity in the gospel, that uh, there's much things that we will disagree on, and yet we can be unified in the, on the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the, the truth and the authority that God's Word brings. And, and uh, the, the fact that the Word of God provides us with sort of a baseline, a, a plumb line, if you will, uh, for truth. And we're to measure everything against that baseline and that truth, that, that we should live lives of integrity based upon the grace and the truth that God has offered up in the Word and, and also through Jesus Christ. And today, uh, in 11 through 14, Paul builds on that truth about the authority of God's Word. And he's showing us our, our motivation for unity, even, even when it comes to confronting another believer in Christ. There's, the motivation is grace, but it's built on the authority of of God's word. There there will be times that believers fall away and fall fail to live up to the truth of the gospel. E- even this more even this Thursday I I I was I got a text from somebody and said, "Hey, can can I can I meet with you and I just need about 15 minutes of your time." Well, two and a half hours later, he's telling me about a situation where a group of believers are not acting in accord with the gospel. They're not lining, they're not aligning their lives up with the gospel and it's caused disunity, it's called discord, it's caused discord. It's caused friction. Brothers in Christ aren't unified, they're not together. They're at each other, they're they're even hating each other. Because people are not, Christians are not living their lives in accord, in alignment with the gospel. And will we fail? We, we will fail. John writes in 1 John, Brothers, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate. There is a big difference between falling into sin, as we see in Galatians 6 later on, and intentionally living a life of habitual sin, knowing that it's, it's a perversion of the gospel. And, and when we do that, when believers do that, we see it here, it causes much unity, and we're going to go after them. Just like Penn says there, not only are we to go after the lost, but we're to go after the saved when their lives no longer line up with the authority and with the, with the baseline of truth that God offers in the gospel. And God's word gives us the authority, but God's grace gives us the motivation to go after these individuals, to bring them back. And, and it's the grace of God in, in drawing us in, of, of reconciling us, lost sinners, to a holy God, the fact that God saved us by grace through faith alone, that that nothing of our own merit, that there would never be anything more different than me and God, and yet God uh, pursued me. And by His grace brought about repentance in me that that me, a sinner and a holy God, could be reconciled. That's the motivation. The, The grace that God has shown you and me in the gospel, the grace that I have received in the gospel, is that same motivation that I go after another believer who maybe isn't aligning their lives with the truth of God's Word. And, and all of this, as we've seen, all of it is motivated in the gospel. There was th- What we see today, this isn't about personal preferences. This isn't, hey, I wish you hadn't have done that. Th- it is all going back to the gospel. Paul confronts Peter, because he was not living straightforward life about the truth of the gospel. He was not being straightforward about the gospel. He had, he had, he had veered away from the gospel. He was living a life that had veered away and was not in line with the gospel. And Paul goes after him in love to realign him. 
And that's the point that I want us to see today. Uh, one main point, and there's going to be three sub-truths that we see in this text today, but the main point, you see it on your handout, God's grace provides us with the motivation to treat others the way we have been treated by God. Just like, again, Penn Gillette, a renowned atheist, in his own words, it is unloving for a Christian not to go after a non-Christian. If we really believe that heaven and hell are in the balance, the most unloving thing we can do is to remain quiet about the truth. It's interesting, even though he didn't agree with the truth, he could see that this individual firmly agreed and believed what he said, and he respected that. The challenge for the world watching is when we as Christians, we profess to believe one thing, but then our lives say something totally different. That's what the world can't stand. That's the hypocrisy that we get accused of. And they're right. The same, the same man who we just saw at the beginning of chapter 2 stand along Peter's side in Jerusalem is standing against him in Antioch. And the reality is the truth of the gospel fueled both of those. It was the fuel for both of those. They're, they're, they're unified on the, in the gospel in, in Jerusalem, and now there's disunity because Peter has gotten out of alignment with the truth of the gospel that they agreed upon. Look at verse 11. When Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Strong words. I, and, and growing up, people would say, those are fighting words. I opposed them to his face. Even right there, we could spend weeks right there. We don't oppose people by talking behind their back. We don't oppose people by telling others about their sin. We don't oppose people by going and getting other people's opinion. We oppose a brother and sister in love by going to them personally in their face, one-on-one. -on -one. We don't oppose them by sharing a prayer request, veiled as really gossip. That's not how we do it. We oppose them to their face. The, the goal here, you can go to Matthew 18, you can go to 1 Corinthians 5. The goal is to keep the circle as small as possible. That by, by, by God's grace, they will repent of their sin. And look, nobody has to know. Now, the world doesn't need to know about this. Other people, look, this is your sin. Before God, I'm correcting you. Hey, you've repented. Praise God. Let's move on. Keep going. Peter opposed him to his face. But why the difference? Why, why the unity and then shortly thereafter the disunity? And I want to give you the context to understanding this passage. Uh, context is always king. You've got to know the context. If we're going to understand what's going on in this text, we need to know the context. And, and, and then I want to teach us some, some lessons for our, our own lives. The, the church at Antioch was made up of primarily Gentile believers, Gentile Christians. When I say Gentile, I mean non-Jew. There's basically in that day two categories. You were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. You were either a Jew or a non-Jew. Just two categories. And in a Jewish believer, it was uncool to the nth degree to eat with a Gentile believer because of their dietary laws their laws on cleanliness, their, their, their stance on certain foods that for fear that you know, maybe the, the Gentiles had sacrificed that, that animal to, a, to an idol. And the temptation was to go and buy that meat at a discounted price and, and it had been sacrificed to, a, to an idol and the Jews were saying, no, 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 because of holiness, their heart was pure, their heart was right. We, we don't want to go there, we want to be clean, but they took it too far. The Jews believed that even to eat with a Gentile, to even share a meal, to, to share a space, to, to provide a meal would have contaminated a Jew because the Gentiles were unclean. They would not even eat with them. The, the Jews went about it and developed very, very strict laws that would keep them separated from the Gentiles. If, if this is where we can't go, the Jews began to develop all kinds of laws that would stop them way back here. Again, their heart was right, but they, but they took it too far. Their actions were wrong. Right belief, wrong behavior. And, and, in, and in this day that, that this scripture was written, listen, a mealtime, that, that was huge. Mealtime was everything. 
To share a meal with somebody meant, it meant more than just each of you were hungry at the same time and you liked the same food and so you ate together. It was way more than that. It meant to eat a meal with somebody meant that you fully accepted that person. It meant that you approved of that person. That's why you see in Mark 2 when, when Jesus ate with the tax collectors and the, and the other Gentiles that the Jews were astonished. Because it meant more than just, hey, can I have some of that? It meant, no, I approve of you, I accept you. Mealtime was a big deal. That, that was the culture in which Peter had been raised his entire life. That was the culture that he had been trained his entire life. That, that is what he and his Jewish buddies, that's all they knew. And then something changed. Christ enters the scene, lives, dies, buried, resurrected. There's a whole new economy introduced. And Peter was made directly, he was made aware of this new economy. There was no doubt that he knew. L listen to Acts 10. You can turn there if you want. Acts 10, verse 9, or you can write it down for the sake of time. I'm just going to start reading. Acts 10, 9. On the next day, as they were on their way approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was dire desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance, and he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. Verse 12, and there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything holy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. So you see that clearly there's a new economy here. Clearly, the Lord had to tell him three times, look, this is the new deal. Those, those animals, it ain't got nothing to do. What the Lord has cleansed, what he's made, it's clean. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate, and calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings. Don't ask any questions, just do it. Don't have any, don't have any quarrels, don't have any worries about anything that you're going to do with these guys. For I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I'm the one you're looking for. For What is the reason to which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them and gave them lodging. On the next day he got up and went away from them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising an objection which I was sent for. So I asked, for what reason you have sent me? Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send a job and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and, have been, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The words which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Peter knew that through belief in Jesus Christ, any person, Jew, Gentile alike, could be made clean. 
that Jew and Gentile alike shared the same problem, sin. That sin had separated them from a holy God. Simply being a Jew did not offer them the right relationship before God. They needed to repent of their sinfulness. The Lord made it very clear to Peter this new economy that whatever God had made was clean and free was, Peter was free to eat whatever he wanted before the Lord. And, and you can flip over to, to Acts 11, verse 1 through 3. You'll see as well that Peter, Peter fully understood this. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard the, that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, You went to an uncircumcised man and ate with them? You see the pressure Peter's feeling. New economy. Everything that he had been raised his entire life now has changed. And his friends are mad that Peter, a Jew, would eat with Gentiles. You can look at verse 12 of Acts 11. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. The six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. Verse 18. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Peter clearly understood the gospel. Peter clearly understood that all men, all women, would needed to repent before a holy God of their sinfulness and call upon the name of the Lord, that simply being a Jew was not enough. That Gentiles and Jews alike both came to God through one way, through believing in Jesus Christ. That this clean, unclean, all of us are unclean before a holy God and need, need the blood of Christ to cleanse us. They recognized fully that the Gentiles had been fully included in the people of God. No dispute. No longer any food and dietary restrictions. No longer this separation. No longer the need to say, you know, if I eat with a Gentile, I'm unclean. No, you're not. You, you see the same thing in, in Acts 15, verses 7 and 9. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said, Brethren, you know that in early days God made a choice among you that by the mouth of the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, having giving them the Spirit just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. I say all that to, to bring home the point. Peter knew the truth. What we're dealing here is, is right theology, wrong behavior. He knew the truth. This isn't, Peter's not confused. He's not, he's not wondering. And, and, if you, and if we're honest, we can, some, some, some part of me sympathizes with Peter. I mean, the man has already been thrown into jail once over his belief in Jesus. Now these Jews come and they're threatening him and putting pressure on him. You can, you can sympathize with Peter. But Peter is acting out of fear of man, not out of fear of God. That's the issue. That's the issue for every single one of us. Peter, Peter is faced with a situation to abandon everything he's been raised and taught his whole life. All of his friends, and by faith, believe the gospel. By faith, act that out. And, and what we see in Galatians is that his culture and the fear of man and traditions are taking precedent to the truth of the gospel. Peter, Peter is faced, do I, want to, do I want to seek God's approval or am I going to seek man's approval? And that's the question we've been dealing with all the way back in the beginning of our culture series. Am I living for the applause and approval of man or am I living for the applause and approval of of God. E even Penn in that video said, you know, I understand that Christians, you won't share because of it may be create a socially awkward scenario. That's his words. And the fear of that socially awkward scenario is keeping a lot of us quiet about our faith. The, the battle for you and I is still being fought on the same grounds. Whose approval am I seeking? Whose glory am I living for? If we don't get this issue settled between me and God, man's approval or God, then, then, then we're going to find ourselves right where Peter found himself, living a schizophrenic, duplicitous, uh, half-hearted walk, acting one way with this group of people and acting another way with this group of people. 
We, we have these invitation cards sitting out on the tables in the fellowship hall. I'd be willing to bet in this group some of us won't pass a single one out because we're afraid of what people will think of us. That, that is a modern-day situation to what Peter is dealing with. Because, again, Penn said it. How, how badly do we have to hate somebody not to share the truth with them? That's what we're called to do, no matter the cost. We're to align ourselves with the gospel no matter the cost. And we're to choose. I'm going to serve God and seek God's glory over man's approval and man's glory. And I'm going to settle the issue. So I say all that to give you the backdrop, to give you a better understanding of what really is going on here, here in, in Galatians 2, verses 11 through 14. This isn't a man who was confused. This is a man who is acting out of fear of man over a fear of God. This is a man who is, who is seeking the approval of man over God, and, in, and he is not aligning himself with the gospel. He is getting out of step with the gospel, and that is why Paul confronts him. These were not over, these were not over vagaries. These were not over preferences. This is about the truthfulness of the gospel. And so, so just a couple of three points that I want us, three truths that I want us to draw out, out of this text today, and you'll see them in your handout. The first one from verses 11 and 12, we are all in danger of stumbling in many ways. Every single one of us are in danger of stumbling in many ways. This is Peter. This is an apostle. This is a person who had direct revelation from the Lord, knew clearly the truth, but... For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. That means fearing the Jews. Fearing man more than God. It's interesting. Where I've been studying, and I, have a, I was invited to speak to some students, college students, in the coming weeks. And it seems like everywhere I turn in my personal quiet times and that, that theme has been popping up. And, and, I, and I, just praying through it, I said, okay, Lord, I think you're telling me by faith to speak to this because this is a very real issue. Every single one of us has got to get this settled. Who do I fear most, man or God? That's why Jesus himself said, do not fear man who can destroy your body, but fear God who can destroy your body and your soul. The worst any man is going to do to me in passing out one of those cards, is just expedite my, my trip to heaven. That's the worst he's going to do. Now, that's not encouraging, and I just pass out a card. But listen to me. They can't destroy me. I've already died to self. I, I'm a dead man living. The old Chris died. The new Chris is living for the Lord, okay? Well, you can't harm me. In theory. But listen to me. I'm also a man in the flesh, and I love people's approval. I love to drive through my neighborhood or jog through my neighborhood and wave to people and they wave back and not go to the other side of the road. That's that crazy Christian over there. And I battle with that. And so do you and I, so do every single one of you if you're honest. We love man's approval. We love to be liked. And not even Peter, an apostle, was immune from this danger. Fear, fear is a tremendous enemy for every single one of us over 300 times in the bible it says do not fear do not fear do not fear why you and i are faith oriented people not fear oriented people we saw that in first peter 3 14 why god was so upset with israel with israel in isaiah 8 12 because they had god on their side and they were fearing the same things that man feared that doesn't make sense you look at romans 14 23 it says whatever is not done of faith is what Sin. Whatever not done of faith. I mean, the application of that, do you, do you go or not go to that movie worried about who sees you or doesn't see you? Sin. Do you eat at this restaurant or drink this that worried more about who sees you or doesn't see you? Sin. Whatever, whatever, whatever not done of faith is sin. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. That's faith. Peter knew the gospel. He knew clearly the truths of the gospel. And guess what? He failed to conform his life around the truth of the gospel. 
The problem is Peter was not acting. He was acting out of fear rather than his convictions rooted in who God was and who the gospel is. You can go to 1 Corinthians 15. You can go all over the New Testament. Peter and Paul both knew the gospel. They knew that the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that had ushered in the new economy. They knew it. And that is why Paul was so upset because the gospel was being maligned. Peter's actions, listen, Peter's actions were communicating a message that the Gentiles were not fully accepted by God through faith. Christ plus something. He's communicating a message that the Gentiles are not clean, that a Jews could not fully embrace Gentiles as members of Christ, that somehow they were still unclean, that Christ's death on the cross wasn't enough. And Peter failed to conform his life to the truth of the gospel. And, and this is every single one of ours battles, to conform our lives to the gospel at all costs. Every single one of us are prone to drift away. We'll see it later. I think it's in Galatians 3. Hey, you who received the Spirit, by, are you now being perfected by the works of the law? Every single one of us. That's why the hymn writer says, bind my wandering heart to thee. Every single one of us are prone to, to wandering, to the danger to live here one way and live out there another way. To seek to please this crowd one way and to seek to please that crowd another way. What we see here is that no Christian reaches a point that they're immune to the dangers of sin. No, you never get to a plateau where you say, well, I don't got to worry about that one no more. Every single moment of every day, there is a fight going on. We are utterly dependent upon the grace of God at every moment of our lives, the grace that is sourced in the gospel. And every single moment, we've got to be vigilant to attack sin in our lives. Every single one of us are prone to, to pride and to stumbling. That's why the Bible says, take heed lest you fall. When you think you won't, you better watch out. We, we, we have to live lives where we are constantly taking every single thing back to the gospel. That's why Corinthians, it says, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every single even thought. Does that line up with the gospel? If it does, keep it. If it doesn't, throw it out. Every single action, does that line up with the gospel? If it does, keep going. If it doesn't, throw it out. What about your motives? Does it line up with the glory of the gospel, or am I seeking my own approval? Throw it out. Constantly taking everything back to the gospel. Constantly being on guard for our, for our enemy who... who John 10 says, prowls around, or 1 Peter 5 says, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to, to devour. John 10 says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, but I have come that you would have life and have it abundantly. Every single moment of every day, prowling around looking for someone to devour. This text reminds us in verses 11 and 12 that, that we are all in danger of stumbling. No one is immune. But secondly, secondly, what we learn here in verse 13 is that how we walk in the truth of the gospel has implications for not only our lives, but every other believer. How we walk in the truth of the gospel. Look at verse 13. The rest of the Jews joined Peter in his hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. No, and here's the thing. None of you, none of me, not that there's more than me, I don't, none of you, we do not sin in isolation. Satan wants you to believe that what you do in your home by yourself that no one else knows about doesn't affect other people. Or That's a lie. That's a lie. We're a body. There's not a single thing that I do to this body, whether it's my arm. I mean, you ask Mia. This week we had a rash of broken bones. Mia Cordova, she's out there. Isaac. Mia broke her wrist. That affects every single aspect of her body. Isaac hurt his, broke his ankle. For, I can't even pronounce the name of some kind of thing. But, but it, it affects everything about him. Here's my point. You don't sin in isolation. And the effects of your sin go way beyond simply you. The, the Jews were swept, other Jews were swept away. Barnabas swept away by Peter's actions. 
There, there's no such thing as private sin in, in a grand sense. We're a body. It affects all of us. I get it private in the sense of nobody saw it, but it's public in the sense of we're a body. What you do affects me, and what I do affects you. It's like introducing a cancer into the body of Christ. And we've got to understand that and embrace that truth, that, that, that we're a body. Philippians 2, that's why Paul says in Philippians 2, 12, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What, what Paul means there when he says work out your salvation in fear and trembling, literally the word there, it, it refers to a mathematical problem. You're faced with a mathematical problem. X plus 6 equals 24. What does X equal? You, you work it out. 18, by the way. You work it out. Just made that one up on the fly. If, obviously, from a couple weeks ago, if we were talking about chemistry, I couldn't have done that. H2, what is O? No, I'm just kidding. Work it out. Figure out what being a Christian, what does that mean for your life as your marriage as a single person, as a college student, as a high school student, as a mom, as a wife, as a worker. If you figure out what that means, what being a Christian means, and you take everything back to the gospel, that is the baseline for every action in our lives. And I thought about this as I was thinking about it to illustrate it. Think about it this way. As you drive, as you drive your car, as you maneuver through traffic, what happens to your tires? They get out of alignment. And they get out of balance. You, you pull away from that oil change that was supposed to be free and ended up costing you $100. And the moment you pull away, your tires are aligned and they're balanced. But the second you pull away, you know what they're doing? They're getting out of alignment and they're getting out of balance. And sometimes you don't even know that they're out, that they're out of alignment. But listen, they'll tell you that a tire that's out of balance and out of alignment, it doesn't just affect that tire. It affects everything else about the car. Just as simply being out of balance. And that comes from normal, everyday driving. You're not intentionally running over curbs. You're not intentionally doing everything to... to it's normal wear and tear. And listen, that's why we come to church. You see it on your handout. The reason we come to church is because we are literally realigning our lives to God's Word. It is like pulling. What we're doing here on Sunday is like pulling into the mechanic shop, putting your car up on the lift, and you're realigning your tires. You're checking the oil. You're getting a, 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 you know, tuned. Taking everything back. We're realigning. We're literally recalibrating our lives every week together. Going back to the Word of God, the, the gospel as our baseline. Because all throughout the week, our tendency is to deviate little by little. And we come back here and we come back to the baseline. Then as we live, we get, then we come back to the baseline. You see this truth very clearly in, in Hebrews 3, verses 12 and, and following. I think it's through 14. Listen to this. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. He's writing to Christians. Hebrews is written to Christians. And you know what he says? Take care, brethren, that not, not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, listen to this, if, if we hold fast the beginning of our insurance firm until the end. The danger is that some of us in here really aren't believers. The danger is that some of us in here won't follow through faithfully until the end. And know that you didn't lose your salvation. The point is, all through our scripture, you never had it. Why do we come back? Why do we come back and hear the gospel every week and realign our words, our lives? It's to recalibrate. It's to live circumspectly. It's to live straightforward lives that Peter wasn't living. To put ourselves under the word and the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And maybe he convicts us that who we thought we were maybe isn't who we thought we are. Or who we really are. Peter's behavior was theologically wrong and it was dangerous and it sent the wrong message about the gospel. And guess what? His sin drew Barnabas in as well. His sin drew other Jews in as well. 
simply not conforming in his eating habits to the gospel. There were huge implications. Just not conforming your eating habits. And if we could grasp, I'm speaking personally, if, we, if I could grasp, if you could grasp how devastating sin is, not only to you, not only to me, but to each other. My sin to you and your sin to me, we're a body. I could go out today and do something heinous and dumb, completely isolated from Karen and the kids, and guess what? They're going to be affected. They had no part in it. They did nothing wrong. And they're going to be drugged down the same path. And that's the same with the body of Christ. Align our lives with the gospel for the good, not only of us, for the glory of God, but the good of those around us. And what is hard, what is hard in that is this, to accept, and it's this, and listen carefully. It is very difficult for us to accept what alignment and what consistency looks like in a believer's life. What yielding the word to the word of God looks like. You and I, in our flesh, we want it to look like conformity and uniformity. We all want to look alike. It'd be real easy. That's why in all of us, in every single one of us, we are all have a legalistic bent in our hearts. We gravitate to legalism. It's so much easier if you just say, give me 20 rules to follow, black and white, 20 rules. I'll focus on those and I can do whatever I want. But you know what God says? Go love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what does that mean, Lord? It means go love your neighbor as yourself. Well, do I have to do this? Well, did I love you that way? Well, how, how far do I have to go to love my neighbor? Go love your neighbor as yourself. Well, well, how often do I have to do it? Go love your neighbor as yourself. You see, you and I, we want rules. Because at the end of the day, listen to me, that's unbelief talking. I don't want to do too much. In my heart, you know what? I don't want to do too much. Because if God, if you're only acquiring 9% and I give 15% to the church, I could have spent that 6% on myself. What a fool am I? And, and we gravitate even back to, to the tithe. You know, what, you know what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says? It says, give liberally according to what you've been given. It doesn't, you'll never see the, the tithe post-law. He says, give in faith. Now, I get it that it works for budgetary reasons and all that. All I'm saying is that we gravitate. We want uniformity and conformity. I want your life to look like my life. And I want you to like the same things I like, and I want you to do the same things I do because that makes it easy. That's not the faith that we're given. We will be different, and that can make it hard. And that's why maintaining alignment can be difficult. Listen, consistency in the Christian life is not about uniformity. It's about every single one of us individually listening to the Word of God and living it out. Peter had a ministry to the Jews. Paul had a ministry to the Gentiles. Did those ministries look differently? Absolutely, they did, all to the glory of God. Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 9, to the Jews, I did this. To the Jews, I was a Jew. To the Gentiles, I was a Gentile. To this, to the slave, I was a slave. You know what? To win the more. His whole point was, it wasn't being duplicitous. He, he wasn't balking at the gospel. He understood that there were certain things that he would do around Jews that he might not do around Gentiles and vice versa because they were freedom issues. And, and there is a freedom and, and there, there is a safety and there is a clarity if we're regulated by laws. Just, just show me the law. You know what God says? Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to my glory. What does that look like, God? It means you do it by faith. Do I have to go on a mission trip once a month? Do it to my glory. Do I have to go once a year? Do it to my glory. Do I have to share the gospel? Do it to my glory. Now, some of those things are clearly commanded. But you look at Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. Impossible. It's, it's hard for us. It was hard for Peter to move away from the law. Hard to have unity among... I mean, even as parents, it's easier to just put a bunch of rules on our kids, even as they get older, to legislate their behavior versus maturing them and teaching them the faith and then trusting them to go out and make good decisions. Because the reality is, I won't address everything that Bradley or Sarah Grace is going to deal with. But here's what I can address. Bradley, you're a child of God. Seek to glorify God in every situation. When you're faced with a situation that you're not sure about, seek to glorify God. What is the path that's going to bring the most glory to God? Then do it by faith. 
Will that always work out? Maybe not on this side of eternity. And I can promise you this. Like my heavenly father, Bradley and Sarah Grace have a father who hopefully I'm not going to punish them if they acted in faith and it just didn't work out because their heart was right. And we've been given the spirit to regulate us, not a law. And that for every single area of our life. Walk by faith and not by sight. That is scary. And, and to be sure, there are clear truths for everyone in Scripture. That's not what I'm talking about. But then there are issues that are dealing with faith. Well, I go on three mission trips a year. Shame on you for not going on any. And I do this, and I go to Bible. I study the Bible eight times. That's faith issues, guys. And that, but that's what Satan loves to get us, get us distracted by. But at the bottom line, when we don't live by faith, when we don't go back to the gospel, when we don't align our lives with the gospel, when we get out of alignment with the gospel, it causes problems not only for us, but every single other believer causes problems. And that's what we see here. My sin affects you. It does not affect me alone. And I pray that we would seek to align our lives with God's word and that we would be gracious with each other, just as God has been gracious with us. That God's patience leads us to repentance, says Romans 2.4. That we would patiently walk with each other to repentance. But that we would have the courage to do it no matter what. So not only, not only are we all capable of stumbling, not only does my sin affect yours, affect you and your sin affects me, but listen to this, lastly, see, there are times when a fellow believer must be confronted, and in these times we must confront based upon principle and not preference. Verse 14, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? The, the issue here was the gospel. The, the issue, everything that we see here, every bit of these problems was caused by believers not living up to the gospel. And let's be honest, isn't that where most of our problems occur? When brothers and sisters in Christ excuse me, don't live up to the gospel, don't align themselves, aren't straightforward with the gospel, how, how much chaos that causes in our life. I mean, I'm not saying this for sympathy. That's my life in a nutshell. Like dealing with people who, aren't, who are willingly, voluntarily, repeatedly. I'm not talking about the occasional the mess-ups. I'm talking about people who are habitually not living, calling themselves Christians, not living up to the gospel. I mean, it causes so much problems. I mean, when, when, one of us, when one of us gets out of alignment or out of balance, everybody feels, you go driving down the road at 60 with a tire out of balance, duh, 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 duh. you know, that's what you feel like. Relationships suffer, unity suffers. And listen to me, when we fail, when one of us gets out of alignment, Paul gives us a wisdom here on what to do. Not only confront, but how to confront. Listen, Paul didn't focus on the sinful behavior as much as he did the sinful attitude behind the behavior. There, there's a huge lesson to be learned there. Paul, Paul goes to the attitude, the theology behind the behavior. The hypocrisy, the wrong, the, 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 the wrong behavior was sourced in a, in a theological issue. We can get real sidetracked about behavior. There's, a, there's, a, there's an attitude, there's a theology behind the behavior that's sourcing the behavior. And that's true with your kids, with my kids, with, with us. And if, we don't, and if we're not wise about how we confront, this thing will get sidetracked really quickly. I, I've, even when we do it wisely, it gets sidetracked really quickly because of pride and arrogance and selfishness. But, but look at look what Peter does. I, I, I was... I confronted him to his face, and it had to do with the truth of the gospel. Listen, two ways we can confront people, and I put them there just a little help for us. We can, number one, we can oppose people by trying to change their behavior through guilt. That, that's a method that only points out what they've done wrong. It's demeaning. It's discouraging. It guilts them to line up. Never deals with the heart never deals with why they wanted to do the behavior to begin with or why they found themselves, what's going on to cause that. Or two, 
We can oppose people by trying to change their behavior through grace. Paul simply goes to Peter and reminds him of who he is in Christ and the riches that and the love that he has through the relationship of Christ. That's what Peter is being drawn back to, the baseline, the gospel. He was not living up with who he said he was in Christ. The word straightforward there, the Greek word is ortho. When I say, or, when I say ortho, orthodontics. Some of our people, like I said, went to see an orthopedic this week, unfortunately. It means straight. They, they straighten things out, whether it's bones or teeth. Paul is going back to the gospel and saying, you're deviating from the gospel. And the gospel, listen to me, it was worth defending, just like Penn told us there. Is it worth defending? Paul knew the damage not only to Peter, but to the gospel, to the body of Christ that was going to come about by, by, by Peter deviating from the gospel. You see it in, in Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself that you will not be tempted. That word restore, it literally talks to resetting a broken bone. Literally the resetting of a broken bone. Getting, getting bones that are out of alignment, getting them back in alignment. And interestingly enough, when, when, when I, I, I broke my arm when I was in high school, two plates, 13 screws, I, I've learned that when a bone is reset correctly and heals correctly, studies show that that bone is stronger than it ever was before. Think about the application of that to a Christian brother or sister who is brought back and restored, stronger than they ever were before. Stronger in their love for God, the love for the church, the need for the church, the reason we have the church, the goodness of God's word. Listen, we, we got to be people. We've said this. The ch part of the church's responsibility is to defend truth. The gospel is a truth that is to be held high and, pre and treasured and backed up through how we live. It is a message that, look, no matter how sinful we are, we can be forgiven and accepted through the blood of Christ if we'll repent. If we will turn and repent. And Paul was seeking to do that with Peter. And that, listen, this, if we don't hear anything else, this is, what, this is what Paul is confronting Peter. And really the underlying truth of this is this. The gospel is a truth that our acceptance by God is through Christ's completed work and not our own. If we're honest, that's where most of us struggle. Is it all Christ or, do, or, or is it Christ plus me? I mean, this really, I, I, maybe it's just me, but this is probably the hardest truth to always cling to and never move away from, that I cannot do anything on my own to merit God's grace. All Christ. That, that's where Peter is. Look, you're not meriting God's grace. You're not earning man's, you're not earning his favor through this. God's acceptance of me, Chris Basham, sinner, forgiven sinner, is through Christ's completed work, not my own. It's not based on my finances or my looks, thankfully, or our family heritage or our ta None of that. None of that merited God's favor. The challenge for each of us is, is living that out not only in our own lives, but in the lives of others. And it not being grace for me, but works for you. God's grace for me, but you know what? You got Christ. Christ is sufficient for me, but Christ plus over there. And real quickly, this is, this is how it looks. In Peter's day, it was not eating or, with, or refusing to eat. Here, here's how it looks today. Are there groups of people that you won't interact with because you feel you're too good for them? Are there groups of people that you won't hang out with because of you're afraid of what other people will think of you if you do hang out with them? At school, at work, in the neighborhoods, in the rec fields? Do, do, we, do we subtly send a message to the world that, hey, it's grace for me, but you know what? You clean up yourself first and then God will accept you. Is that the message that we send? 
Or, or, or do we live in line with the gospel that says, you know what, there's nothing you will ever do to merit God's grace. In fact, that's the reason that needs grace. Will, will, will we socially be around people that we would never, ever invite into our homes? Do we associate with one another because we're supposed to rather than we're called to and want to for the gospel's sake? Do, do we simply keep relationships formal here so that nobody ever knows who we truly are? Because if they knew who we truly are, they'd never accept us. Is that the message that, we're, is that, the, message that the church is sending to a watching world? That God's grace is really shallow, really superficial. That if you've done any of the hard things, you know, the big sins, well, you can only come here if you're perfect or real close to it. That's what this looks like today. Do, do we keep relationships formal because we really don't want to get our hands dirty and deal with other people's sins and walk with them in the dirtiness of their sin? If you find yourself deviating from the gospel in any of these ways, repent. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to help you understand and grow in regards to God's grace, as the Bible says, that you would treat others the same way you've been treated. And that's the bottom line. You see it on your handout. Do we treat others in a way that is consistent with the way that God treats us? That, that's the church. It's treating each other and it's treating the world in a way that is consistent with the way that God has treated us, with grace. Not letting our sin go, not passing it by, dealing with it, but knowing there's forgiveness. Treating others the way that we've been treated in Christ. I, I would challenge us to do that. To, to the... the the hardest thing for us as a church is going to be to continually shower people with the same grace that we've been showered with, even when we're confronting them. And to learn, to learn to live in God's freedom in such a way that, that people's approval and disapproval doesn't matter to us as much as God's approval matters to us.